uh, such a joy to be together. I thank you for the warm welcome you've given me, and uh, it's been such a blessing to uh, mingle amongst you and to bring the Word of God to you. And uh, I do hold you in my heart, and uh, thinking of the future, thinking of these breakthrough places that we're going into, uh, and having heard some of the personal testimony, it kind of really registers that, uh, you know, we're going to Brooklyn, and uh, we're going to these places like Austin, Texas, and we're going to, yeah, it's pioneering mission work, and uh, I feel that's what God wants me to speak about this morning, really, and if you'd like to turn in your Bible, perhaps you'd turn to First Samuel and chapter 14, First Samuel chapter 14. Going to read uh, a story here, and uh, then we'll ask God to speak to us from it. These wonderful Old Testament stories are written for our encouragement that through inspiration of the Scriptures we might have hope, and uh, God will encourage and build up our faith. I've been very blessed just hearing the many words that have come during the ministry, or during the worship rather, that have, you know, when you're a preacher and you know what's on your heart and then people start prophesying uh, and saying, really echoing all that you're living with and even some of the great songs we've been singing, you think, yes, we're, we're on track here. And uh, I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel 14. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, let's cross over to the Philistines' garrison. That's on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about a hundred men, six hundred men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahatib, Ahatub, sorry, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people didn't know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp crag on the one side and a sharp crag on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, the name of the other, Senna. One crag rose up on the north opposite Michmash and the other on the side, uh, south side opposite Geba. Now Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, Let's cross over to the garrison of those uncircumcised, and perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. His armor-bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart. Turn yourself. And here I am with you according to all that's in your heart. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we cross over and reveal ourselves to them if they say to us wait until we come to you then we will stand in our place and not go up to them but if they say come up to us then we'll go up for the Lord has given them into our hands and this shall be a sign for us when both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines the Philistines said behold the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've hidden themselves so the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan, his armor-bearer, and said, Come up to us. We'll tell you something. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. And then Jonathan climbed up 
on his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer who put some of them to death after him. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half a furrow in an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field and among all the people. Even the garrison and their raiders trembled and the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling. Now Saul's watchman in Gibeah of Benjamin looked and behold, the multitude melted away. They went here and there and Saul said to the people who were with him, number now, see who's gone from us. When they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. Then Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God was with them at that time, the sons of Israel. And while Saul talked to the priests, the commotion on the camp of the Philistines continued and increased. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and the peoples who were with him rallied, and came to the battle, and behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around in the camp, even they also turned in to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines had fled, even they also pursued them closely in the battle so the Lord delivered Israel that day and the battle spread beyond Bethaven. Father thank you for your word thank you for our context Lord in which you find us we thank you Lord we're yours thank you you've brought us together you've called us you've initiated this great thing in our hearts and Lord we look to you we thank you for these great words we've been singing that you are the great I am, Lord, that voice that came from a tiny bush speaking to Moses and yet overwhelmed Pharaoh as Moses learned to listen and do your will. Father, Lord, you see that great number that's set against us today. and We pray for the Holy Spirit so to come upon us. Lord, bless this hour. Bless us with your presence. Bless us with revelation. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Please be our teacher. Please lead us into truth. Let truth captivate us. Let it change our thinking. Let it do us good. Let the word come and inspire faith in our hearts, we pray, Father. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I hear our friend's testimony these days, it just makes me feel that we're more and more like some of those early missionaries uh, more and more we're going in his name into territory that's unfamiliar with us, sometimes even hostile territory as we talk about the Middle East and difficulties. It's very courageous and it's not just uh, popping across the road to another town. It's more and more going into the unknown and whether it's a concrete jungle uh, like Brooklyn or whether it's a far-off nation uh, in a Muslim world, it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. And I've been reminded lately because it's 150 years since Hudson Taylor, that great pioneering missionary, set his heart to go into China. I've been reminded of these kind of people. And perhaps uh, the man who's called the father of missions is a man called William Carey. 
And perhaps after missionary work had almost faded completely from church life, this man rose up and went on mission. He went to India and accomplished phenomenal things, phenomenal things. And he had a kind of saying that was quite famous and very much associated with him. And it was this, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for him, expect great things from him. And that, that kind of phrase stirred my heart and I thought that is such a wonderful thing that got hold of that man and motivated him to go uh, to India and start missions. It, it stirred him and, and I, I, I began to think about that phrase and I, I looked up in my thesaurus. Now, if you're not familiar, a dictionary just simply defines a word. A thesaurus tells you associated words, similar words, sometimes phrases that add color to that word. Just kind of put it in its context, help you feel the feel of the word. So I looked up those words. I looked up attempt, right? Attempt great things for God. So I looked up attempt in the, the thesaurus. It says this, trial, endeavor, aim, venture, adventure, speculate, experiment, try a, take a risk, try your luck. Okay, so Terry Virgo is preaching this morning on try your luck, all right? <laughs> try your luck. And I'm trying to think, what's the story that kind of ties in with that? Because the, this missionary phrase has stirred my heart, try your luck. And my mind went to this story, this story of uh, extraordinary breakthrough from two guys who went on, went on mission against the odds, against the odds. And then the other word is expect, expect great things. And I looked that up in the thesaurus as well. And it says anticipate, reckon, calculate, keep a sharp lookout for, prepare, count on, count on, keep a sharp lookout for, expect. See what God will do. That's what captivated this man as he went to India. He had this expectation that God would do something. And so in this story we find Jonathan, I think, just the embodiment of this whole attitude. And as we go on mission in little groups and, you know, just this couple of guys go out, this story is so inspiring. Because first of all, we see the background. Let me just remind you of the background. Under Saul, they had enjoyed initially tremendous breakthrough. The Spirit of God had been on Saul. He'd seen quite a lot of success. He's probably the most tragic, I think, uh, character in the Bible. He starts humble. He starts full of the Spirit. I mean, just many, many characteristics of him that are so impressive. But tragically, he hasn't actually got his roots into God. And when things start going wrong, he really misses the way. And they begin to find defeat. The Philistines start fighting back. And whereas Israel was enjoying success, the Philistines don't just run for it. They start fighting and fighting until uh, Saul, the king, and his people are shrinking down, shrinking down. And numbers are leaving. People are leaving. They're going and hiding in caves. We felt at the end of the reading, some even went over to the other side. And we're living in a day like that. We're living in a day when the church looks like it's in retreat, it looks as though it's getting shut down, and some are getting in their caves. And some are just, well, keeping their religion private. And some are even going over to the other side, as it were. 
And that's sort of the background to this whole story. Israel then, this wonderful people of God, are now absolutely shut in. And, and having seen setbacks, Saul is not like, for instance, Moses. When Moses hears from God, now go and speak to Pharaoh. And he goes to Pharaoh, this chapter is amazing, in early Exodus. He goes to Pharaoh, he says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says to him, Who's the Lord? Clear off. I said, huh? no, no, I said it. Look, that says the Lord. No, go away, little man, go away. And, and you find Moses at the end of the chapter, he's, he's had this encounter with God, this extraordinary experience. He's thrown down the stick and it becomes a snake. He can pour out water, it becomes blood. I mean, here I am, here I am. That says the Lord, clear off, clear off. And he goes back to God, he says, why did you ever send me? <laughs> Nothing happened. You feel like that sometimes. Why did you ever send me? But beloved, he does the right thing. He goes back to God. He goes back to God. And you get this, I think it's a wonderful chapter. It's a chapter of high hopes, an absolutely crushed man. But he goes back to God in the very next chapter, you get seven I wills from God. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Moses is getting stronger all the time as he gets back with God. You see, when the church hits setbacks and difficulties, that's what you're meant to do. You go back to God. Saul didn't do that. Saul didn't do that. You find with Joshua, when he went, into the, he went into the land, took Jericho, and then the next battle is Ai. Oh, that'll be easy. No, it wasn't. They got beaten. They got beaten at Ai. So what did Joshua do? Oh, it's a dead loss. Let's leave. No, no, he went back to God. Lord, what was that all about? We find with David at Ziklag, he's totally defeated. What does he do? He goes back to God. Saul is defeated. He doesn't go anywhere. He goes into himself. He's got a bit of religion, as we'll see in the story in a minute. There's the ark is there and the ephod, and he kind of plays with a bit of religion in the story. But there's no authentic expectation from God. And that's the problem with this people. They're meant to be the people of God. They're meant to trust in God. They're on a journey that God has commissioned them to do. And the leader isn't looking to God. So they're in serious trouble. Serious trouble. When they are led by men who look to God, even in times of terrible setback, they can still be on course. That's how it was with Moses. He, I mean, he said, why did you ever send me? But he's back with God, so he's still on course. God knows exactly what's happening. God persuades him, strengthens him, and gradually Moses seems to get stronger and Pharaoh seems to shrink as the story goes on, as he keeps going back to God and getting his strength. So Jonathan in contrast to his father, is of a kind of a different spirit. He's got a different perspective. So he's expecting great things. Okay, that's a very, very important thing. As we, as we move into uh, such places as, you know, we go uh, into New York, think, Lord, no, we're going expecting. Expecting great things. Why? Well, here we have the background. He didn't forget who the Israelites were. He didn't see themselves as just another crowd. You know, Moses, when he went to Pharaoh, who do you think you are? Go away. Actually, he's the servant of the Most High God. And, and you'll find this right through the Bible. You, you find that uh, people like Sennacherib, they said, well, are you trusting God? Why do you trust? No, we trust in God. You trust in God. And, and the Bible shows the advance of the church, not kind of steady graph. You know, here's my five-year plan. You find those highs and terrible lows. 
and then highs and then lows and then and people are cast back on God God help us and God comes through it shows it's about people relating to God it's not just about methodology that we know how to get success it's the people who come to God, sometimes brokenhearted, sometimes aware, I'm so weak, Lord. But you come to God and suddenly God starts moving again. It shows, beloved, it's a person. It's not just loads of principles. It's one we relate to, one who begins to inspire courage again. And Jonathan remembered, no, we're the people of God. As we go, in, as we go into Brooklyn, we're the people of God. We're not having a go. You know, maybe Seth's standing here, but it's not just Seth. <laughs> we're going in the name of the Lord. Whatever place we're going, we're going in his name. We're going as his emissaries. We're going because he sent us. That awareness, he, he remembers. No, we, we looks bad. It looks like we're being shut in, but actually we belong to a God who acts. We, believe, we belong to a God who has power. We, believe, we belong to a God whose purpose, already declared, is I will give you the land. God said what he's going to do. I will give you the land. And so we're not wondering what's going to happen. That's where, that's where Jonathan is so different to his father. He's persuaded that there's a sense in which we can't get shut in because God's with us, expecting great things from God. He also remembered the overall plan, which is my glory will fill the earth. Remember when they came to the uh, River Jordan the first time, sent in spies, and the spies came back and said, we can't do this. And it says this, God said, how long will these people despise me? It's an amazing statement, that. They came back and said, there are cities that are walled up to heaven. There are giants in the land. We're grasshoppers. We can't do this. I mean, it's just too much. And God says, how long will they despise me? You think, no, 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 we're not despising you. It's the giants. It's the, it's the cities. I mean, look, it's too... And God, God takes that as a personal affront. He doesn't say, yeah, well, it is tough. No, he says, look, what, how are you despising me? How long, how long are you going to despise me? When you say, I can't do this, and yet God said, do it, we're despising him. He takes it personally. <laughs> so we need to let that hit us. We need to let that get on our hearts. God's intention, having captivated us, won our hearts, put us in a, a family that will stand with us and sending us, hey, his purpose is pretty clear. We're going with him. We're not allowing circumstances to close us in. Paul came to a similar thing. He says he came to, came to Corinth. It's a big city. It's got all kinds of entrenched religion and culture, you know, foreign to the gospel. And, and Paul's just about to go, then it's, he's troubled in the night. It says, the Lord came to Saul. He says, don't fear. I've got many people in this city. You think, you haven't even been there yet, Lord. No, no, I've got many people. Before he goes, before Paul goes, God says to him, no, I've got many people. This is my work. I know what I'm after. I know I've got my purposes here. Paul, come on. I've got many people. Don't be scared. And so he's strengthened by that encounter. And he goes into Corinth. And so he doesn't, Jonathan doesn't forget God's plan, God's purpose. We're on the move with God. He also doesn't forget who the Philistines were. Did you notice that, that uh, phrase he says to the, his, his uh, armor bearer? He said, uh, let's go up against these uncircumcised. Think, What's that got to do with anything? We think, well, doesn't that ring a bell somewhere? He said, where have I heard that before? Oh, of course, 
That's what David said, wasn't it? When everybody's cringing with fear because Goliath's strutting around, this great monster of a giant, and, and, and he's coming against them to send a man against me. And David says, hey, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? You might say, he may be uncircumcised, but look at the size of the guy. He's a monster. <laughs> but, but what is David saying? He's saying he's uncircumcised. He's saying he hasn't got God's covenant. God's not with him. God's not with him. <laughs> he's, he's uncircumcised. He looks big. God's not with him. David's persuaded by that. And Jonathan, they're real friends, David and Jonathan. Jonathan's got the same, let's go against these uncircumcised guys. Oh, there's loads of them. There's only two of us. But actually, they haven't got any defense. God, God is not with them. God can break through that. God can break through that. We've heard some wonderful testimonies here. People saying, oh, rubbish church. And then the poor woman goes home and has a dream. And God says to her, don't be like that about my church. Ooh, what's this? Yeah, she hasn't got any defense. When, when God starts breaking in, the woman's got no defense at all. And, and the people are dead in trespasses and sins. They're lost, the world, the flesh, the devil. But when Jesus speaks, oh, I've got many people in the city. And all of that control that Satan seems to have has to break away, has to leave. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, it says, these people just crucified Christ. I mean, they're hostile enemies. And Peter preached, and they were pierced to the heart. What must we do? It's amazing. God can break through. God can break through the hardest defense. He can break through those who seem so indifferent. He can break through the Apostle Paul, who's full of hatred towards the church. He's like, I won't have this people. I won't have this Jesus of Nazareth. He's, he's actually killed Stephen. He's, he's throwing people into prison. And then the Lord of glory says, mm, I'll have him, I think. See, he's seated on the throne. He says, I, yeah, I've chosen, you're a chosen instrument of mine. <gasps> Saul, Saul's just taken over by Jesus. Jesus can break through any time. And that's what Jonathan remembers, that these Philistines are actually defenseless. And we have to have these attitudes, dear friends, in our modern world. Because we can be bombarded with when no one believes anymore, you know, it's a different age. It's forget it. No, 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 the God hasn't changed. That's what Jonathan knew. God hasn't changed, and the purpose hasn't changed. He said to the son, ask of me, I'll give you the nations for your, your, your heritage, the ends of the earth as your possession. That's, that's the guarantee. God's spoken to his son, I'm going to give you the nations. We've seen the end of the book. It says in Revelation, from every tribe and tongue and nation and people, there's people there. So you've got to have a revived church for that to happen. You've got to have a church that can reach out, that can overflow. God will do that work. He's going to do that. And so when people say, well, maybe Christianity is over, maybe the age of the church is finished, people are becoming secular now. No, 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 that's not going to be the end of the story. God's looking, beloved, for people like Jonathan who don't allow present circumstances to close them down, but rise above it. And these are some of the ways you rose above it. Hey, God hasn't changed. They are actually defenseless. They're uncircumcised. And then he said, he wasn't limited by numbers. The Lord can save by many or by few. In fact, sometimes God seems to be troubled by numbers. You remember the story of Gideon? And you say, well, we've got this many. 
uh, and said, well, let's take a few tests, you know, who drinks the water and doesn't drink the water and all the rest of it. No, still too many. And God cuts them right down, right down, right down. And that often happens in Israel's history. When Elijah's on the scene, he said, oh, I'm the only one left. He said, well, there are 7,000. Israel is reduced to 7,000. Only 7,000 true believers. That's the nation of Israel. It's reduced. That's happened in church history. It's been reduced. And suddenly God comes with power and breakthrough. He's not limited. He's not limited if numbers are low. In fact, he delights with that in Gideon. He reduces the numbers. Why? So he gets more majesty, more glory, more honor, a real fear of God because God did it. God broke in. God made it happen. See, sometimes we think for our own lives, in your individual life, sometimes you feel, well, I've kind of hit, I've hit a ceiling. And we can feel that for the church, but you may feel it for yourself. I don't know, I seem to get shut in. I don't seem to have made much progress. I'm a Christian, but you know, I don't, I don't feel, I feel kind of at a loss. Now, Paul says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for God is at work in you. Then he says this in Philippians, he who began a work in you will bring it to completion. You see, but I'm stuck. No, no, no. He began it. He'll complete it. Now he wrote that to the Philippians. Now how did, how did, how did the Philippian church come into existence? Well, we know how it did. Well, Paul, he's, he's still in Asia. He tries to go one way and he can't. The Spirit won't allow him. He tries to go another way. The Holy Spirit won't allow him. Then he gets this, this vision. Come over to Macedonia. Oh, okay. We go to Macedonia. Get to Macedonia. There's a demon-possessed girl screaming and shouting. Cast the demon out. He's put in prison. Prison breaks open. Lydia, who's saying, her heart's open. And the church starts. Think, wow, I think maybe God began this work. <laughs> Earthquakes, prison's opening. And Paul writes to them. He who began a good work in you. Don't you think maybe God started that? We're not very good at earthquakes ourselves. God started it. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were hopeless. You were without God, without hope. And God saved you. He who began, he who did that major work, rescued you from death. Do you think he's going to abandon you now? He's going to leave you in some mediocre Christianity? The God who began will bring it to completion. He wants that. He's writing that to individual Christians. Come on, don't allow yourself to think, well, I don't think I can go much further. No, no, no. He began. He's done the biggest work. He broke you out of death. Unbelief. The world, the flesh, the devil had you under their heel. And God brought you out. He's not going to abandon that. He who began a work will bring it to completion. He's on the move. He's got plans for you. So he says, work out your salvation. For what? For God's at work in you. God's committed to you. God will put his energy to bear. And Jonathan didn't forget that. He expected great things from God. He was on the lookout for. I love that in the story. He says to his servant, come on, let's go up. And he kind of gives a little clue. He says, if they say, come up, we'll know. He's on the lookout. I love that from the thesaurus. Expect, be on the lookout. As we go into new towns, as we expand, as we move out another congregation, we're just doing it. No, no, we're on the lookout. We're expecting God. 
We're expecting people. We're going to meet some people. Because God's with us. God's going to open doors. God's going to give us contacts. God's going to give us jobs. Uh, On the lookout, we're expecting. We're expecting because we're not on our own. We're not drudgery. We're going with God. And this guy had this expectation. He's living with expectation. Expect great things from God. Because it's God's work. God hasn't abandoned his cause. He wants Jesus famous. He wants to give him a glorious bride. He wants them to have a great army, a body of Christ, a new man in all the earth. That's his intention. He tells us in Ephesians, his enormous plan to bring everything through in Christ. That's his plan. And our going is part of the obedience that's going to bring that about. We're going to meet young guys and girls who don't even know Christ yet, but when they meet him, they're going to say, wow, you can have my life. What, what do you want to do with me, Lord? What will you do with me? And every life's got a story written in it. We're his workmanship. And so God will begin and God will move and God will not allow us to get shut in. Expect great things. And so as he does this, he begins to attempt. All right, so he takes action. He begins to, in the context of expectation, he begins to move. The first thing that happens, I want to say, is this. He refuses to get locked in. He refuses to, to accept the status quo. I remember when we first started uh, small house churches across the county where I got started. And I was going to one home and we were laying hands on a few people and they got filled with the Spirit and they began to love listening and I'm going up there every other week. And then we moved to another town and so I'm going to there. Oh, that's an alternate week, so I'm going to that home. And then another home opened up and, and we're going to about eight house churches within an hour's drive all around the county. And then, and then I hired a town hall and we gathered every month on a Monday night and we, we gathered a few hundred at first and it gradually grew till yeah nearly a thousand the place could seat 1300 and it's really going we're gathering these churches are getting going and people oh, once a month they're coming in we're all coming in together we're expounding the word we're lifting hopes and expectation we're lifting worship that they've never seen before and, and we're having great meetings and a pastor from a nearby town came to see me, called me, said, can I come and see you? Came to see me, and we sat down. I said, you know, pleasantries. Then he said, uh, I've come with a particular request. And I said, yeah, what was that? He said, I want you to stop those meetings. I said, why is that? He said, because my young people come, and they love them. And he said this, he said, you know church can never be like that. That was, that was, I remember that's indelibly stamped in my memory. You know church can never be like that. And I have to say thus far, I was a bit disappointed with those meetings. We were making progress. Things were beginning to happen. But he said, no, you know church can never be like that. My young people are getting kind of excited. You know church can never be like that. And as I'm saying this now, I'm immediately reminded, a new day in England, 7,000 teenagers are on their way home to churches that are very much like that. Very much like that. Very much like that. And he said to me, no, you know, you know, it could never be like that. So please stop. You're lifting their expectations. Jonathan would not say, well, this is the way it is today. This is why you don't expect people. No one's interested in the gospel anymore. It's a hard day. Jonathan didn't accept that. He didn't allow himself to be shut in. And I was polite to the gentleman, but I said, no, sorry, I'm not stopping. 
We've got to go on with God. We mustn't allow the status quo to kind of shape our thinking. Next thing we see is he did take action. He did take action. And I, I, I want to say something now. I don't want to be misunderstood. We need to pray. We need to fervently pray. We desperately need to pray. And I love gathering men to pray, men and women to pray, let's pray. But we must never make prayer, prayer a hiding place. It's very possible to be like that. It's possible to have such a prayer emphasis there's a kind of hiding place where we say, Lord, come, please, you do something, you do something. We know we can't. You do something, you do something. Now, he wasn't like that. Now, prayer is vital. I'm, when, when I get back to England, my first Sunday that I'm going to preach, actually it's in two Sundays' time, I'm working through the story of Moses, and I'm coming to the battle of Amalek, and I've been in my mind already kind of thinking of it and trying to ponder it, and I noticed Moses says to Joshua, go and choose good fighters, and I'm going up into the hill to pray. But it's interesting, it's not, it doesn't matter who you choose, any rubbish will do, because I'm going to pray. No, no, choose good men. Come on, get ready for the battle. We've got to get this balance right because actually the battle will turn on when he lifts up this rod, when he's saying, God, you come. That's where the battle actually turns. But he still says, come on, take real fighters. And we've got to get that balance right. That doesn't say, yeah, we need to pray. If we don't learn this lesson about prayer, we're in real trouble. But we don't say, well, let's, do, let's just pray. I've noticed this, every prayer meeting in the book of Acts is in partnership with action. The day of Pentecost, they're praying. The Holy Spirit falls, they're out in the streets. Well, it's not, hey, don't interrupt our prayer meeting. No, they're out in the streets. The next thing, they're, well, they're praying because they're, they're, they're preaching and preaching and going, and you find that the Sanhedrin say, no more preaching in that name. So what do they do? They go and pray. And they pray, what happens? Give us boldness, Lord. The Spirit falls upon them. The building shakes, and out they go again. And then Peter's in prison. What happens? Well, church, knee-jerk reaction. Let's go and pray. They all gather in Mark's mother's home, and, and, and they're praying, and they're praying, they're praying. The prison opens. I mean, you go through the book of Acts, you'll find prayer is never a hiding place. Prayer is where the action is. It's associated with the activity they're doing. So we need to see this, that yeah, this is a man of action. It's possible to just be, kind of, well, we're just praying. No, let's pray. Please, let's pray. But let's take action. And they took action. You look at some of the stories of these great pioneers. They took action. People like Hudson Taylor were going. Jackie Pullinger, we're going. We're going. She bought a one-way ticket. The mission said no. She took a one-way ticket to Hong Kong. Incredible things happened. Incredible things happen. She went. She was a woman of action. The next thing I notice is this. He risked what he had. What do I mean? Well, it's interesting. If you read in the account, it says in the previous chapter, at uh, chapter 13 and uh, in verse 22, it says, it came about in the day of battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. They were found with Saul and Jonathan alone. So only two swords left. They're so overwhelmed by the Philistines, they've taken all their swords. No wonder people are scared. And so there's only two. Saul's got one and Jonathan's got one. Well, if you've got 
kind of the only sword around. What do you do with it? Well, hide it under the bed. Good grief. It's the only one around. You'd better hide it. Look after it. Watch out. You don't want to lose it, do you? See, see, that's what we can be like. But what, what are swords for? They're for sort of plunging in other people's guts, aren't they? So what's the, you don't hide it. But it's the only one we've got. We can be a bit like that with our reputation. You know, you're in the workplace, and I could speak to them about Jesus, uh, but I, I think they, I think they think I'm a good worker. Um, I've got a good reputation. Don't want to blow that now. Talk about Jesus. I think I better hide my sword because I could lose my reputation. Hey, beloved, reputations are for using, not for hiding. You take, take, you say, I've, got, I've got this. I'm gonna, they think I do a good job. They think, I'm going to tell them, actually, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I mentioned yesterday about, I think I did yesterday, it gets a blur after all these meetings, but uh, that there was a message from home that this teacher took his class to New Day and they all responded to the gospel. And, I, you know, I've been a bit of correspondence on WhatsApp and my family were buzzing every day with news. And, and they said, he was given permission because they said he somehow brings peace to the class in a way they haven't noticed any other teacher does. That's isn't that interesting? He's got a reputation. He's got a reputation. They think he does a good job. Right, well, shall I risk that by saying, can I take them to a religious meeting? Who could lose? No, no, I'm going to use my reputation. They trusted him. So we don't want to take what's precious to us and hide it. He's only got one sword. What happens if you lose the sword? Come on, Jonathan. Don't be a fool. Keep it safe. We can be like that in so many ways. Play safe. Jonathan didn't play safe. He's only got one sword, so let's go and work with it. I've got it. Let's go with it. No one else has got one. I've got one. Let's use it. Let's use what we've got. Let's not hide it. He didn't play safe. He had a sword. He worked with it. And then this wonderful friend of his I mean, he's pretty impressive too, isn't he? I mean, if there's only one sword, guess what the other guy's got? <laughs> Nothing at all. What's he got, stones? You know, I don't know what he's got. Go on, Jonathan. I'm with you, heart and soul. Heart and soul, but uh, not, no sword, actually. But I'm with you. And so, I get, okay, go, go. I'm with you. I'm with you. And Jonathan goes, I can imagine Jonathan kills the first one and says, here, have a sword, a spare sword, have it. You know. So it must have been in the battle that he learned. In the battle he gained. In the battle he got what he needed. He went without. You may be joining a team that's going church planting. You think, well, I don't know what I'll bring to it. I don't know what I can add. This guy said, no, I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm with you, heart and soul. And he had this wonderful thing. He said, do what is in your heart. Do what is in your heart. You know, we, we often don't do what's in our hearts. It's a great answer he gave him. He said, look, let's go and do this. And you don't find this guy saying, oh, that sounds a bit dodgy. I wouldn't think of that. No, there's only one sword between us and 20 of them. I mean, this is... No, no. Do what... What's he doing? He's respecting... But Jonathan's got something in his heart. I think we don't often respond to what's in our heart. We're, we're doubtful. We're suspicious of what we get in our heart. We tend to be that way. 
probably Americans less than English, actually. But we tend to... Do, I remember, actually, was in the, I was in the home of a... or at least the office of an American pastor some years ago, and he was going through a bit of a dark patch. And uh, I noticed in his office, he's got his desk, and on the, w- on the wall opposite, it's got this text, and it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. And he's looking at that every day. And I think he's thinking, oh, well, I've got this idea. Oh, yeah, but his thoughts are not my thoughts. That's no, probably wrong. So every, every day he's looking up at this verse that says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I thought, rip it off the wall. You haven't got it in its context. In the context, this is backslidden Israel, backslidden people of God who are not doing the will of God. And God's saying, I've got much higher thoughts than you've got. Whereas my friend's sitting there thinking, I've got this, oh no, I've got this idea, but my thoughts are not his thoughts. And a lot of people, I thought this, but it's not, you know, my thoughts are not his. That's so silly, so powerful and sad to get the scripture and misinterpret it like that. And so that in the end, you're kind of full of doubt because, well, I had this idea, but my thoughts are not. It says in the New Testament, we have the mind of Christ. He puts promptings in our hearts. He, he, He sows seeds in our hearts. Things that he stirs us, moves us, comes to us communicates stuff with us. The Spirit searches all the deep things of God and reveals them to us. Now, I'm not saying we're always right, but I'm not saying either we should always doubt because well, his thoughts are not my thoughts because the New Testament says, each one shall know me from the least to the greatest. We can know him. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. There's much better verses to stick on the wall. That inspire confidence, things God stirs our hearts to do. Now, he didn't do it alone. He turned to his brother and said, hey, I've, this is what I'm thinking. Now, that's a good thing as well. It's good not to be isolated. It's good to have brothers. It's good to share things. It's good to say, hey, I'm thinking this. And he checked it out, as it were. And his brother said, yeah, I'm for you. You notice even the Apostle Paul, who said, I, I received the gospel direct from Jesus. He said, he said, if an angel gives you another gospel, let him be cursed. I've got the authentic gospel. Then he says this in the same epistle. He said, I went down and checked out with the others. I checked out with Peter and John. I submitted to them my gospel, and they gave me the right hand of fellowship. So it's good, beloved, to be in fellowship with others, to get affirmation, to get encouragement. Brothers and sisters who are believers, people full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. It's good not to be too isolated. He wasn't too, he said, come on, what do you think, brother? Yeah, let's do it. He did that checking out, but he did obey his inner prompting. And I'm just saying, this is how the breakthrough came. When Carey said, I'm going to India, he was in a very, what was, we might call, an ultra-reformed context, almost hyper-Calvinism. And he said, I'm going on mission. And he actually, the famous reply was this, uh, uh, Brother Carey, if God wants to save the Indians, he'll do it himself. That's my brief appraisal. But that's what it was, essentially, sit down. If God wants that, he'll do it. And you can be like that. But he said, no, no, I want to go. And he, he followed the stirring of his heart. When Hudson Taylor went, he got loads of opposition because he wore Chinese clothing. He broke through. He did things. I thought, I must do this. I need to identify more. It was in his heart. And people said, that's outrageous. We're British. We British are in China. 
You know, we're opening up this pagan nation. We don't dress like them. He said, I'm going to dress like them. And he shaved his head and he grew a Chinese pigtail down his back and he wore their clothing and he went in among them. He did what was in his heart. He got such phenomenal breakthrough. God was wonderfully with him. And even to this day, the Chinese love that name, Hudson Taylor, because he responded. And beloved, this is how they broke out. They were shut in. Israel was shut in. And people are leaving. They're going. It says people were leaving Saul all the time, getting out. And it changed when someone got something in their heart and went for it and didn't allow all the negatives to stop him. That's what the whole thing turned on the faith of this guy. By the time we finish the story in a minute, we're going to see there was total victory. It turned on one person saying, I'm going. I'm going to believe God. And a companion said, I'm with you. It turned the whole thing. It comes to show the value of the individual who hears from God and obeys God and responds to his prompting. This is what he did. What was in his heart? And his reply was, I am with you, heart and soul. And as I go forward, what was hope becomes certainty? Because he said, if they say come up, we'll know. God's given them to us. It's just waiting for that confirmation, waiting for a kind of indication. And they say, mockingly, yeah, come up here, we'll show you a few things. And they say, that's the word, that's it, they're ours. Hope becomes certainty. In the text it says, perhaps. He begins with saying, perhaps the Lord. But he doesn't keep his perhaps at home. Perhaps he won't. Perhaps he will. Perhaps he won't. No, he takes his perhaps into the battle. Perhaps the Lord. He pushes it to the margins. And then he said, well, we'll go this far. And if God's... Then we throw, we're through. And, he, and it changes from hope to certainty. It changes from to perhaps to knowing, hey, we've got it. We've got it. And that can happen as we go forward. Things that you think, well, well, maybe. You press through and you know you're getting it. And beloved, that's got to be the characteristic of us here. As a people, as John stands before us and says, these towns, these places, beloved, they weren't there. We didn't know them a few years ago. We didn't have anything there. Uh, you know, we talk about Bo over there in Tacoma. We didn't know anybody there. And it needed somebody to say, well, let's go, let's see. And wow, look, we're talking about two or three hundred now. It, you had to have that faith to go, that faith and courage to make that first step. And as they go, <laughs> as they go, I love that word to the uh, lepers. Jesus says to the ten lepers, go, show yourself to the priest. And they could have said, What's the point of that? Got a load of leprosy here. It doesn't say that. It says, he said to them, go, show yourself to the priest. And it says this, as they went on their way, they were made whole. As they obeyed, miracles started happening. If they'd stopped and said, well, there's not much point in doing that, Jesus. Look at all this horrible leprosy. As they went on their way, they were made whole. Faith has this factor in it. Faith isn't a static thing. Faith happens in a mobile context, a moving forward setting. Faith starts triggering in. As we look back, that's been our story. Even surprising things. When God said to us, close down Stonely Bible Week, 
I mean, we were in a prayer meeting, John and I, God made that clear to us, we've got to close it. I mean, that's huge, 30,000 people gathering, biggest thing happening in England, probably biggest thing in Europe, massive thing. Close it, close it! When we closed it, we were about 225 churches in the world. 225. We're now, I think, over 1,400. We don't know the exact number anymore. But we've gone on mission. We were given this image, this picture of a, a dandelion and it, it blowing and the seed going everywhere. Right, you know, we used to do this conference, but that's not who we were, it's something we did. Now God said, now go, okay, we'll do it. People came, knocked my door, said, is it true you've closed it? Yeah, well, God just told us. God just told, God made it clear. But I mean, listen, listen to the influence and the finance. And one group came to me because they did a conference and they had John Piper over and they said, uh, we were going to have John Piper again next year, but to be honest, if we do it again, it will destroy our group because we can't afford it. We lost so much money on it. Um, did, is that why you closed Stonely? <laughs> In those days, the offering was getting just over a million pounds <laughs> for mission. Just over a million every year we were taking in. And they said, did you close it because it was too expensive? <laughs> no, we closed it, although we were going to lose a million every year because God told us to do it. And faith grows as you go. God's told us, so let's go, let's go. Now we're talking 14, maybe 1,500 churches because we just did what he told us to do in faith. Beloved, we're, that, that's kind of the roots of who we are here. Let's keep moving in this. We keep moving in this. We keep going as God has told us. We go forward and hope and perhaps becomes yes. They're given to us. And notice this in verse 12. The Lord has given them into my hands. No, it doesn't say that. It says the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. See, he's so clear. This is God's battle. It's God's fame. It's not, hey, aren't I a good guy? I opened up this city. Aren't I amazing? I started this church plant and it's really flourishing. Jonathan doesn't say, look, the Lord's given me a victory. He says, the Lord's given us a victory. That's one of the joys of being a family. It's wonderful hearing your response when you hear about Tacoma. When you guys, when it was mentioned here, you said, place Robson, yay! Said, What's that, they're over there, it's the other side of the world. It's part of us. We feel we're in this together. And that's what's happened. He said, no, we, he's given us victory. Every breakthrough belongs to all of us. Amen? Every church breakthrough. Every, that's why you're going to keep praying for our friends who go into difficult places. We're, we're praying so much for our friends in Turkey. All the time, just praying for them. Because the, if they get a breakthrough, well, it's miles from us. Some of us may never, ever see it. Boy, the Lord's giving victory to his people. So we all own the victory. We all own it. It's, and, and Jonathan didn't make it a private deal. And it says this, I love what happens. They slew 20. That's pretty impressive for two guys. I mean, it's like Hollywood, isn't it? Two take out 20. And then this amazing thing, it says, then there was a trembling and an earthquake and a God-given intervention because two men acted in faith. Two men acted in faith and something much more than they're expecting starts happening. 
God does phenomenal things. God, God does more than we're asking for. I see that often when we're praying for the sick. You do one thing, God's doing more. I was praying for a lady. I, I, I was praying for her because her back was in pain. And as I prayed for her, I just, I just felt the Spirit of God was really on this lady. And I, and I just put my hand and said, receive the love of God. And she slipped off the chair. She's lying on the floor and she's crying and crying and crying. And I thought, okay, well, God's, God's blessing her. And I moved on to the next lady. I prayed for her because she needed back. She had back pain. I prayed for her. And she just rolls around laughing. So this one's crying. This one, like, you know, I'm just praying for backs to get healed. And I don't know, you know, just God's doing more, more than I'm doing. I'm doing what I'm told to do, but God's doing more. And then I had a letter the following week, handwritten letter from this lady. And she said, you may remember you were in X church. And she said, uh, you prayed for a lady. And she said she cried. She said, it was me. She said, this is my story. And she told this story of how she, she, was, she became friendly with this Muslim guy. And they got more and more close. And she said, he began to make sexual claims on me. And I yielded to him. Uh, and then it, it got kind of a bit more harsh, but I thought, no, I'm with him. And we got engaged. And she said he got more and more cruel with me in the world of sex. And then in the end, she said, I thought, I don't know if I can actually marry him. And, and she's in the worship group. And she's, she's thinking, oh, what am I doing? And she said, I, in the end, I pulled out of the marriage. And she said, it was, we didn't actually get married. But she said, I've been through a terrible time. I've been through a terrible time of shame and the pressure I got from him and his family. It's, it's, been, it's been agony, absolutely terrible. And she said, I, 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 I came for because I had back pain in the meeting. And she's still in the church. She's living with this agony in her soul. And, and I just feel, the, I see her get healed and I see the presence. And I say, I am totally ignorant. I say, Lord. And I just say to her, receive the love of God. She wrote to me, she said, when you said, receive the love of God, she said, I was overwhelmed with Jesus' love. I'm completely restored to him. He's absolutely overwhelmed. I'm back with Jesus. I'm, I'm whole, I'm healed. He's put it all behind me. My sins are forgiven. I'm back with God. All I'm doing is praying for a bad back. And, and then this letter, I'm, I'm, re I'm reading this letter. My kids are saying, this is going back a few years. I'm, I'm, my kids are sitting around the table and, and dad's reading the letter. Tears pouring down my face and they're looking at me. Dad's got a funny letter there. I'm just crying. Because she, she said, you remember the lady you prayed for next to me who fell on the floor laughing? And then she said, that was my mother. And she's been through the whole thing with me, through such agony with me. And she said, she's hardly stopped laughing. I mean, isn't it wonderful? You, you know, it says they, they slew 20, and then suddenly there's earthquake, there's trembling. You think, well, all we did was that, and God's, God steps in. Suddenly God's there. You say, whoa, God, you're, you're doing more. And beloved, we've got to have that in our heart. We're doing what we can. We're being obedient. But as we, these two men stepped out of a world of unbelief, static Christianity, experimented, expected, tried, God broke in. It's like he's looking for that. Couldn't he break through without it? I guess he could, but he did it this way. When two guys said, I'm going to believe God, 
expect great things from God. We're going out to the edge. Sometimes we're going on the edge of our faith. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't know if I can pray with this. I don't know if I can pray for that. I prayed for a lady in Wales. You know, I'm praying for different people and, and there's a wheelchair on the end of the road. So I don't, I don't want to see a wheelchair. So I'm praying for other people. And I think, the wheelchair, the wheelchair. And because uh, I'm pathetic. So the wheelchair is scaring the life out of me. And, and then, so in the end, you come to the wheelchair. So I pray for the lady. And, you know, God bless you. And I said, what would you like me to pray? And I prayed for her. And she just sat there and went on to the next person. I'm praying for the next person. And this lady stands up. And I kind of looked at her. And she starts walking around. And, and, she's, and people are going, ah! She's walking up and down. She's been in this wheelchair for 21 years. This happened in Wales. She's standing, she's walking around. And she said, when you were preaching, you looked at me. I don't look at her. <laughs> I, don't, I don't look at people. She said, you looked at me. And she said, after you prayed for me, she said, Jesus said to me, stand up. She said, Jesus said to me, stand up. So she did. She stood up. And the next morning, I'm in church. <laughs> and it's on Saturday at night this happened. Sunday morning, we're in church. And uh, Andrew, the pastor, is there. And he starts the meeting. He said, I expect many of you have noticed that Peggy's... Uh, not on the end of the row in her chair. I don't know if people know just or not. They look around. She's kind of in the middle of the row. And, he's, and people, you may be wondering what she's doing there. And I'm just listening to this. He said, he said, Peggy, come and tell them why. So she stood up and walked. And people are going, and I mean, eyes are popping open. And there's a few tears. She walks to the front. And she stood at the front. And the first thing she said to Andrew Davis was this. She said, you're rather short, aren't you, Andrew? <laughs> She, she wrote to me in the weeks that followed. She said, I've lost my disability benefit. <laughs> and she's quite a well-known lady, and she's a counsellor in the town. God did much more, much more. You know, you're kind of going out on a limb. You're going out, talking about this, but you're pushing the barriers. That's what we must do, dear friends. We push the barriers. We go beyond. That's what they did. They went beyond. And the Lord... <laughs> you can't make earthquakes. You might be able to kill 20. That's pretty remarkable. But earthquakes, that's God's province. But it came when they obeyed. It came, God's there, the almighty God. The one we're singing about, this great I am. He's with us. All sorts of things can happen. <laughs> if not, what are we playing at? Why go to Brooklyn if God's not with us? But if he is with us, if he is with us. So here we see the, this breakthrough of God. Then it even says in verse 20, they start fighting one another. In the, there's internal fighting in the enemy camp. They're in complete disarray. And then it says this, the Israelites who had backslidden returned. Verses 21, 22, at the end of the passage I read to you, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines previously who went up with them around the camp, even they turned to be with the Israelites. Oh, oh, disappointed Christians. Find Christians who believe something. Christians who said, ah, oh, church, I got, I got burned in that place and 
They don't believe much over there. I don't bother anymore. They see somebody who's believing God. They say, can I come with you? That's what happened here. People had gone over. They'd gone. They, and and it's, it's, see, the ones, it says, the one, the, at the end, it says, the ones hidden in the caves. They're hidden in caves. Now, Jonathan did not begin a cave-visiting ministry. <laughs> you don't, are you disappointed? What happened if you got, can I pray for you? No, no, no. He just obeyed God, believed God, went with God, and the guys hidden in the caves said, now that looks a bit more like what I signed up for. That's it. When the church comes alive, beloved, and sometimes people say, oh, we've been, we've been added, some people have been added to us, but they're not conversions, they're already Christians. I don't despise that for one moment. I don't care. I love it when Christians, God, God wants to gather his scattered sheep. And so many of God's scattered sheep are disappointed. They, they signed on for something and then they hit a really sad church or they had a bad situation and they think, ugh, and there's no faith around. When you start doing what God wants you to do and you go out with him, people hidden in caves will come back. I promise you. <laughs> so many wonderful people. I've, we've, got, we've gathered over the years pastors. I, I remember a dear man called, <laughs> a guy called John Wilthew who was a pastor in England. He came to one of our conferences. He's a Baptist pastor. He said, he came to our conference, he stood up, he said, at the end of the conference, which was about this size, the first one we did, or one of the early ones anyway, he said, I've been ruined by what you're saying. He said, I've had enough of being a referee in a church where people fight with one another. He said, I'm gonna go and be a milkman. It's just, I'm, get, I'm just getting out of here. And I said, don't become a milkman, become a pastor with us. And he became one of our pastor teachers, terrific preaching gift in a very sad situation. He came out of it, got into something that was moving. He served, now his son's a terrific prophet. I mean, (laughs) let's believe, beloved, for scattered Christians to find the church that's worth joining. Not because we want to be elite, God forbid, but because we try and trust God. We're trying to get out on a limb. We want to see what God will do. We want to believe him. We want to walk with some integrity. All the things we were talking about with Solomon yesterday, all those things are in order, but we're also leaning in faith to what he has for us. They came back. The people who have been hidden came back through his courage. You find John, Saul is still playing with religion. He says to the priest, you know, come, hey, what should we do? What's going on? And at first he's asking him, kind of try the, the, the Urim and the Thummim. You know, and he says, oh, leave it, let's go. He's the guy, he says, what are you doing? Well, he's playing religious stuff and then it doesn't work, so okay, let's go. And really, he's lost his way. He's lost his way. Jonathan's an authentic believer. Knows the authentic God we heard about in the prophetic. Let's get to know him. Let's expect great things from him. You expecting great things? I think we've grown this year. What's it going to be like next year? Expecting great things. Attempting attempting great things, getting out into obedience with him, taking your perhaps into the battle, perhaps the Lord, finding him breaking through. Let's stand to pray.
Let's just draw near to him. Believe that he'll draw near to us. Thank you, Jesus. One of the prophetic words said that God wants to give us a fresh touch of his presence. Those early believers, they, they said, oh, look, ground is boldness. They were filled again. God wants to touch us again, he said, through the prophetic. We had this word about stepping out to a path that isn't even there. And as they step out, the path comes. It's all tying in with what God gave me to say. So many things that were said. God's inviting us this morning. He's, he's, he's on our case. <laughs> We're his workmanship. He's very interested in us. So thrilling. He's very interested in what's been done and what's being done. He's with us. He just wants to give us a fresh touch. So let's just, just stand before him. And uh, we, We'll sing in a moment, but we don't need music just now, okay? So let's just be before him. Lord, we just, we just thank you for your being with us over these days. Thank you for the courage, John and Ian, the team, to set up this weekend, gather us here, find this location, all the hard work as Gareth's been reminding us, people behind the scenes, making it happen. We're so grateful, Lord. But Father, it's you we seek right now. We just wait for you. I just want to invite you to kind of put your hands out as though you were going to receive a tray somebody bringing you a tray and just put that in your hands let's lift our faces to him Father thank you for your promise you want to give us a fresh touch of your spirit come Holy Spirit come freshly upon us Come freshly upon us. Come touch us, Lord. Come mighty Holy Spirit. Our dear friends from Rhode Island, come upon them, Lord. Come upon us as we wait before you. Come and receive. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you. Some of you begin just to feel like a, a gentle touch on your forehead. You feel like oil. Just come and receive. Come and receive. Come and receive. Come, Holy Spirit. Touch us afresh, Lord. Your wonderful presence, Lord. We are here for you, Lord. We are here for you. Clothe us with power as we go in your name. Clothe us with your spirit as we obey you. Come, Holy Spirit. Some of you begin to feel like a weight on your hands. Feel the presence of the Lord. Yeah, come and touch us, Lord. Come and flood us, Lord. Be honest, Lord, for your glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come and touch us, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. Just receive from you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 We're here for you, Lord. Just touch more, more of your spirit upon us, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we do love you. We so appreciate you, Lord Jesus. Some of you are just feeling the presence of the Lord. Just drink him in. Drink him in. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're just feeling anything from the Lord Jesus yourself, would you just raise your hand where you are? Just if you're feeling that nearness, feeling that touch. Okay, let's just, with people near you just putting their hand up, would you just put your hand on them? Just pray that God will continue to bless this brother here in the white t shirt. Would you just lay your hands on him? That's right, just where people are being touched, just pray for them. Just pray that God will bless them more and more. Just glance around you. If you see people that are registering that they're sensing the Lord's presence, let's pray for them. Yeah, come on, Lord. In Jesus' name, come on, this dear brother. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Right, oh, right now, yes. Right now, more of your presence, Lord. Yes, Father, right now, fill him. Fill him, fill him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, receive from God. Receive from God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your utter commitment to us. We thank you for your desire to own us. We just pray for one another, Lord, right now. Thank you for bringing us to this place. Thank you for the joy and privilege of worshipping you here. Thank you again for all the hard work behind the scenes that's made it possible. Father, we give you the thanks. We pray right now, Father, for your presence to rest upon us. As we go from this setting, as we go into maybe hard situations, Lord, let the presence of the Holy Spirit be greatly upon us. Help us to remember this believing couple who trusted you, who persuaded that you would not fail them. Lord, let us go confident in you, anticipating your companionship. Thank you, Lord, that you're the one who can bring the earthquakes. You're the one who can bring panic in the enemy camp. You're the one who can do what we can't do. As we do what we can do, as we trust you, Lord, help us to be expecting great things from God, expecting you to do what we can't do. Lord, we pray for it. We pray again for every church plant. We pray for every church. We pray for growth and blessing and breakthrough. Keep coming amongst us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.